0: Well, amen. Jesus paid it all. I I got a question for you this morning. If Jesus paid it all, then how much of it did you contribute to your salvation? Okay. If Jesus paid all of it, how much of it did we pay? None, right? That's right. If Jesus paid all of it, then that means we did nothing to earn our salvation. So because of that, as Christians, we should be some of the most, we should be the most humble people on earth. Okay, the most humble, never, never point to ourselves, never trust in ourselves, but always point to Christ and what He did. Okay, if you got a Bible this morning, please flip to Luke chapter eighteen. Luke chapter eighteen, we're going to be in verses nine through fourteen. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, feel free to take a hard, black, hardback black one that's in the pew in front of you, and you can read from that one. Um, does anybody have anybody know that that storyteller in your life? That, that maybe that, that man or that woman in your life who's always... Every time you're around them, they're always telling a story. That person, they've always got a story to tell. For me, when I was growing up, uh, that was my granddad. I called him Peepaw. That was my granddad. He always had a story to, to tell me. And some of my best memories with him, remembering back, are when sitting around the fire with him at night. And uh, he'd always pop popcorn. And, and uh, he would tell me these, these stories about world war ii he would tell me stories about the hard times he had working on the farm when his dad died when he was 16 years old and at 16 he had to man up and he had to take over the whole farm and i remember i don't, you know looking back i don't remember everything that he told me or taught me but but the things i really do remember today are the stories he told and out of those stories came the principles of hard work of being brave, of being courageous, of what it means to be a man. Okay? And Jesus taught in this same way. That's how Jesus often taught. He would, he would tell what, what the Bible calls a parable. So a parable is, is a story that Jesus would tell. Often it was um, you know, a, a made-up story to illustrate a big point, to illustrate a principle. So it's looking like I'm going to be preaching a few more times this year and, and what I want to do in each of these is, uh, is preach just a parable of Jesus Christ, these stories that he tells. And, and this one we're looking at this morning. It's called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I think it's, it might be the most important, the most significant parable that he told in his time. Okay? It has the, really the core message in it of what it means to be a Christian of what it means to be saved. Okay, he, he, he illustrates it in this parable. So if you're able to, I'd ask that you please stand now for the reading of God's Word. It says this, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. And Jesus said this, He said, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now the Pharisee, standing by himself, he prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, says he would not even lift up his eyes towards heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says this, I tell you, this man, being a tax collector, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your words. Lord, prepare our hearts right now to to hear the truth from you. Lord, I pray that I don't say a single word that um, isn't inspired by the Holy Spirit. So Lord, just speak through me this morning. Lord, I pray for those of us in this room who have hard Prideful hearts, God, I pray we would be humbled this morning. I pray we would. Lord, I pray for those of us in this room who, who have not yet asked God for mercy, for the forgiveness of our sins, that they would do that this morning. Lord, I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Y'all can be seated. All right. So to really understand this parable, to really understand this story. It's important to understand, okay, well, well, what exactly is a Pharisee and what exactly is a tax collector in this culture? Okay, a Pharisee, that's not a word we use a lot today. Uh, but in, in Jesus' time there, in the first century in the Jewish culture, a Pharisee was, was, the, was, they were the religious leaders of the day. So these were guys who taught in the temples. These were guys that they knew the Old Testament scriptures and they would teach it to others. The Pharisees were regarded as these really holy, righteous guys. They were the religious leaders. However, though they were the religious leaders, they were actually the guys that Jesus rebuked the most and called out the most. Okay, when when Jesus was on earth, he didn't go to these people whose lives were just a mess and and say, what are you doing, get it together. No, he went to the religious people and he rebuked them for their self-righteousness and for their pride, and for the way they treated other people because of the pride. Okay, And it was ultimately the Pharisees who delivered Jesus over to the Roman government to be crucified. On the other hand, you have the tax collector here. Why is it significant that he was a tax collector? Well, in that time, a tax collector was an outcast of society because they considered tax collectors to, uh, to be traitors, to people who, who sold out to the Roman government. These guys were coming around to le- c- collecting taxes. And oftentimes, these guys would collect more from individuals than they actually owed. And they would keep the leftover and put it in their own pocket. So people labeled the tax collectors as thieves, as liars, as cheaters. And therefore, they were outcasts. And people just didn't like them. Um, not a whole lot different from the IRS today, right? <laughs> People's opinion of them. So hopefully, you got your taxes in last week. But it's significant that these are the two characters in the story. And this is the main point that Jesus makes in this parable. Is that, that though the Pharisee had followed all of the religious rules and he appeared to be holy and righteous to other people, he trusted in his own righteousness. Okay? And because that he did not confess his need for God's mercy as a sinner. This caused him to be prideful and think that he was better than other people. And the tax collector, though he had lived a very sinful life, so much so that he was treated as an outcast, in this prayer he humbly confessed that he was a sinner in need for God's mercy. And because of this, the tax collector received the gift of eternal life, not the Pharisee this day, okay? So this leads me to point number one. This morning, we just have two points this morning. And the first one is this. Do not trust in yourselves for your own righteousness. This is pride. That's not what being a Christian is about. It's not about following a list of rules and thinking that doing that has made you holy or righteous or good. It's trusting in the one who was good, being Jesus Christ. But if you are trusting in yourself and not trusting in what Jesus did through the, his death and resurrection, then this leads to pride. Okay, pride... It's a big deal in the Bible. It's mentioned 277 times pride is mentioned at the Bible. At the core of sin is pridefulness. Okay, we were created to glorify God. We were created in the image of God to bear his image on this earth. And in everything that we do, give glory to God. But pride is really doing the opposite of that. Instead of giving glory to God, pride is self-exaltation. It's living for the glory of yourself rather than than god this is what led to the fall of satan and i believe it's the core sin of man as well you might be thinking why why is pride so sinful it's because pride has given ourselves the credit for something that god has accomplished especially in the aspect of self-righteousness if you think that you're righteous on your own before the throne of god because of what you've done what you have done it's it's given yourself credit for something that jesus did he took the nails in his hands and feet. He took the crown of thorns on his head. He is the one that bore the cross for our sins. So to, so to stand before God and declare yourself righteous is, is prideful. It's taking credit for something that Jesus did. One of the most dangerous things about pride, and the scary thing about it, is that pride is it's blinding. All right, Pride is blinding. That's something about the Pharisees. Look, we're in Luke 18. This isn't the first time that that Jesus had called out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. In fact, he's been doing this over and over and over again throughout the Gospels. And yet they don't see it. They don't see their own sin. They don't recognize that he's the Messiah. They don't recognize their need for him. So instead of, when being called out, instead of having a repentant heart and confessing that, they, they get angry and defensive. At Jesus and eventually turned him over to be crucified, and so for us, listen. A lot of times when we read these passages of Jesus calling out the Pharisees, a lot of times we get real fired up, right? And we're like, "Oh yeah, here comes Jesus. He's calling out those Pharisees." You know, that's not me, but here he comes. I can't wait to hear about this, and we we get this attitude of, "Oh yeah, Jesus, come on, get him. You tell those Pharisees. You call them out." But we need to be careful. Not to do that so quickly, we need to be careful and examine your own life, examine your own heart to be sure that he's not talking about you. Okay, preparing for this sermon was, the past weeks, it's been very humbling, really. I mean, because as I'm studying Jesus, calling out the Pharisees and the different things that they did, you know, I've, I've seen some of these things in my own life, and it's been humbling to recognize Hey, I can be this way. So hear me, my, my heart this morning is not, you know, oh, this is, you know, my heart this morning is that we, I, I care for y'all and, and I love you guys and I want us to examine our own lives and be sure that that we're not the Pharisee in this story that Jesus is rebuking. Jeremiah 17.10 says that I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Psalm 139, David Prayed this, and this should be our prayer this morning. Psalm one thirty nine says, "Search me, O God, and know my heart; try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting." So, what we're going to do here is we're going to do a little diagnosis of our hearts. Um, I'm going to go through a few common symptoms of of what it means to be a Pharisee. A few common symptoms of a prideful heart. The first one being this. Number one, you, you might be a Pharisee if you trust in yourselves that you are righteous. If you look to your own works as proof of your righteousness before God, if you think that on your own you're worthy of the kingdom. Notice the, the Pharisee's prayer in verse 9. Or notice the purpose of this parable. Verse 9 says, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That's the whole reason he told this parable to... to to address these people. And then verse 12, notice the prayer of the Pharisee. What's he say? He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. He's standing before God saying, look at all that I do. Look at the good things to do. I go to church every single week, sometimes even on Wednesday nights. I tithe of of my income. I do all these things, and therefore I am worthy. That's self-righteousness. That's pride. And God, it's disgusting to him. That's why he sent Jesus Christ, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but trust in what Jesus did. Uh, Pastor Richard, he's asked this question before, but it's such an important question. I think it deserves repeating. Imagine you're standing before the throne of God and you're asked why you should enter in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, If, if, if you start to list off a bunch of good things that you've done and a bunch of bad things that you didn't do. You know, I've never killed anybody. I've never done this or that. Okay, then that means you're just trusting yourselves. You're not trusting in Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a frightening passage. He goes on to say, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is saying, look, if you're standing before Jesus, saying, hey, Jesus, did did I not do this? I mean, look at my life. Look how good I was. He says, no, you don't get it. That's not the point. The point is that I died for you on the cross. Quit pointing to your own life. Okay, we need to be humble and admit our need for Jesus as Savior. It's true that there are there's religions all over the world, and one of the really the second biggest one right now is Islam. And it's true that on that day, many will say, did we not do all these things in the name of Muhammad, our prophet? Did we not do all these things in the name of Allah? I mean, I, I got on my mat and I prayed five times daily towards the east. I made a pilgrimage to Mecca. I saved up and traveled all the way to Mecca. Uh, I fasted the whole month of Ramadan. I said the, the creed of Islam. I did all these things. But religion, empty religion is trusting in works and in ceremonies in order to be righteous before God. Now now the unfortunate thing is, what Jesus says here is not only those who associate with other religions, but even people who may have identified as Christians in their life. Jesus will say, I never knew you. Because we can do the same thing. We can say, well, I go to church, um, I get money in the offering plate, I've been in Sunday school, and we can trust in those things in order to save us. And if that's the case, it's no different than any other religion. Look, that's the difference between empty religion and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Religion is after behavioral modification, just just kind of modifying a few things in your life. But the gospel is about heart transformation. Now, all these things I'm talking about, coming to church and reading your Bible and giving, it's not an excuse to not do these things. These are good things, but do it with the right motivation, You're doing it not in order to be saved, but we do these things because we have been saved by Jesus Christ, and therefore we want to do it out of love for him and out of thankfulness. Okay? Number two, you might be a Pharisee if you treat others with contempt. Notice verse 9 again. It says, Jesus told this parable to some who treated others with contempt. What does it mean to treat others with contempt? It means to cast them down as lower than you, as, as low status, as scum, to look down your nose at them, to be judgmental, to think you're much better. Notice the prayer in verse 11. That what did the Pharisee pray? He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Mm. And then, then what did he say? I thank you that I'm not even like this here tax collector. He's comparing himself to other people and casting judgment on them and thinking he's better. Okay, do you ever do that? What is, let me ask you this. What is your very first reaction? What's your reaction when you see someone whose life is just a mess, when you see someone who's just living in sin? Is it compassion? Do you want to help them? Do you want to help restore them to have a relationship with God? Or you just kind of shake your head and say, ah, they probably got themselves into this mess. They probably deserve it. Say you see a a young pregnant girl who's who's gotten pregnant out of marriage. Or say you see a homeless man on a street corner. Is your first reaction towards that girl, well, well, it's just her own fault. You know, stupid decision, so that's what she gets. Or is it she's in a tough spot? I'll, I want to help her. I want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with her. That you know that could have been me, but for the grace of God. And you, you might be thinking, "Well, how can I help them?" Um, right now, out in the foyer there, there's a bunch of these empty baby bottles. Okay, these go to the New Life Center. You can take one of these home with you. You fill it up with money. You fill it up with old change or or bills or whatever. You bring it back by Father's Day, and this money will be donated to the new life center the new life center is dedicated to providing um health care for young women who've had an unplanned pregnancy so that they don't have to get an abortion so that they feel like they have other options and they have a support system of people caring for them so instead of just casting judgment on people help them and, and this is a very real way that you can do that and for the homeless man on the street corner maybe you just say oh he's just probably lazy and you know, he could get a job. And he doesn't need any help. Look, you don't know him. You've never walked a day in his shoes. If that's our reaction to people, you might be a Pharisee. Another thing they did, they, they, distanced, them, they distanced themselves from people that they thought were less than them. They wouldn't even associate with them so that wouldn't give themselves a bad name. And then when someone did associate with them, they would label that person as just one of them. So notice in in Luke 15, it says that the tax collectors and sinners were all drawn near to hear Jesus. So Jesus is preaching, he's healing people, he's helping people, and people are coming from all over. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled and they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And also in Luke 7, it says the Pharisees said, look at him, talking about Jesus, look at him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus is trying to help these people whose life is a mess. And the Pharisees, the religious people, are just saying, look who he's hanging out with. He must be one of them. If you do that, you might be a Pharisee. Number three, you might be a Pharisee if you practice your righteousness in order to be seen by others. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, he said, beware, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen, them, seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And he gave some examples of this. He said, in giving, he said, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, that they may be praised by others. Look, if before you put a check in the offering plate or before you're giving, if you kind of look around and make sure somebody's watching and, And if they are, maybe you give a little bit more. Be careful. Are you doing it for God or for men to see you? He goes on, he says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues that they may be seen by others. He says, I say to you, they've received the reward, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who sees you in secret. Listen, if the only time you've prayed... All week is maybe the, the only time you pray is maybe in Sunday school, just so the whole class can hear your prayer. Be careful if that's the only time you've prayed all week. I'm not saying praying in Sunday school is wrong; that's that's fine. But if the only time you're if you're not praying to the Lord at, at home on your own when no one sees you, and if the only time you're praying is when other people can see you, that shows you're just praying because you want other people to hear you praying. And that's what Pharisees do, okay? That's, that's pridefulness. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody cuss in front of me or tell a dirty joke in front of me, and I can't stand when people say, it. they'll say, oh, I shouldn't do that. Uh, you know, you're a preacher. I shouldn't say it in front of you. And I just think, no, I'm just another guy. I mean, God is what matters, not, not me. Listen, if, if the true test of your heart is not how you act or how you speak, When others are around to see you, but how you behave when you're alone and God is the only one who sees you. Okay, this reveals if you live for the approval of man or the approval of God. If you kind of change the way you talk or the way you act when you're around certain people just so they'll think you're all right. And then when you're around other people or maybe when you're alone, you act a completely different way. That reveals you might just be living for the approval of other people and not the approval of of god jesus said this in luke 16 you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men but god knows your hearts here's another another way you might be a pharisee if you think you're good just because you clean up on the outside but on the inside you still have a hard sinful unrepentant heart okay notice what the pharisee prays here in this parable he says I thank you that I'm not like other men. And he lists some different ways. And he says, I thank you I'm not like other men. I thank you that I'm not like these adulterers. Okay, should I remind you what, what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Again, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. He's quoting the Ten Commandments there. But he says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. God is not just about your outward actions, but about the, the purity and the, the inward thoughts and desires of your heart. So don't think you're okay just because maybe you've never cheated on your wife before, but you're okay because um, I've never done that. But, but maybe at the same time, you're constantly lusting after other women, or maybe you're even looking at pornography, and you think that somehow that's just okay. Okay. Okay, Jesus is saying if your heart is lusting after that, you're guilty of being an adulterer. He goes on to say, you've heard it was said, you shall not murder, and everyone who murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the judgment of the hell of fire. If you have stored up anger and bitterness towards someone in your heart, and you just are withholding forgiveness and refuse to restore that relationship, Jesus says you, you're guilty of murder in your heart because you're you're angry with that person. And if you call someone you fool, so if you are, are constantly gossiping and and slandering and 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 talking bad about someone and putting labels on them and talking behind their back, He said it, it makes you guilty of murder. You're you're it's a murderous spirit. Gossip is a it's a poison that seeps in and it divides people, okay? In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus, he called us out. Like, Jesus said some really hard things. I realize these things are hard to hear, especially if you see them in your own life. But Jesus loved us enough to tell us the truth, okay? Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup but inside, you're still full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside that the outside may also, may, may also be clean. Imagine if you went to somebody's house to eat supper one night, all right? Imagine you go over there, and they're sitting the table for you to eat. And uh, so they got a, a sink that's just full of dirty dishes. You know, it's, there's flies swarming around. It looks like it's been sitting there a few days. And, uh, you know, they ask you if you want something to drink. Say, yeah, I'll take some sweet tea or something. And then they, they pull it. They're looking around. They just pull a glass out of the sink. And, you know, they, they wash the outside of it real good, get the outside nice and shiny. And it looks all right. They hand it to you. It's, you look in there, and it's like mildew and all this crusty stuff in there, nasty. Well, <laughs> I don't want to drink out of that. But listen, that God, we do the same thing to God. When we just clean up on the outside and say, oh, I've cleaned my life up, you know, I can look good for other people. But if at the same time on the inside, your thoughts and the attitude of your heart is just wicked. Okay? That God is after your heart, not just this outward religious appearance. Jesus goes on to say about that type of behavior, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're like a tombstone, he says. Which outwardly it appears beautiful, but within it's full of dead people's bones. So you also appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Uh, You might be a Pharisee if you think you're better than other people because they are different from you in economic status, or especially in race or ethnicity or nationality. There's a story when Jesus went to the woman at the well in Samaria. And he goes up to this woman. You know what her response to him is? She says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? You see, her whole life, she had been treated, because she was a Samaritan, she'd been treated like she was second class. She'd been treated like she was lesser than other people because, just simply because of her nationality and maybe even her skin color. Look, it's, good, it, it's good to remember that, that Jesus, our Savior, was a Jew from the Middle East. And if you think that you're better than other people because of your skin color, because of where you live in the world, then you might be a Pharisee, because that's the same thing they did. One more reason here that you might be a Pharisee is if you hold to traditions, to man-made traditions, as if they are biblical commands and allow it to cause division in the church. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus said, uh, These people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then he says, You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So what are examples of traditions today that we might be holding to? Maybe it's the style of music in the church. Maybe it's the exact style of worship. Maybe it's uh, the, the color of the carpet or the color of the stained glass windows or any way that the church building looks. Maybe it's uh, you think people have to dress a specific way when they come into a church building. But if these things, if you hold to these things so tightly, these man things, none of those things are commanded in the Bible. If you hold to these things as if they're Biblical commands, when they're just traditions, and you allow it to cause division in the church and form your own little cliques and treat people differently over these little traditions, then you might be a Pharisee. And listen, if, uh, if you're listening to this, if you've been listening to this whole sermon and, and the only thing you can think about is, well, I, you know, I really, wish, I really wish so-and-so were here to hear this. They really need to hear this. I really wish my cousin, you know, they, they need to hear this message. If all you can think about is somebody else and their sin and how they need to hear this sermon, and you're not thinking, you know, maybe, maybe I need to hear this sermon, then you, then you might be a Pharisee. There's a story. All this reminds me of the story. In Luke chapter 7, this is a true story, what happened in the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's house to, to eat supper with them, and they're sitting at the table enjoying dinner, and then comes this sinful woman. And she comes in, and uh, if you all remember in Luke 7, she, she, she bows down at Jesus' feet. She's weeping. She's crying. She pours uh, this, this fragrance, this perfume on Jesus' feet. And it even gets to the point where she's crying, and she's literally washing Jesus' feet with her own tears and her own hair. And do you know what the Pharisee said about that situation? In verse 39, it says, The Pharisee said to himself, If this man, talking about Jesus, if this man were a prophet, then he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Do you see how awful that attitude is? The Pharisee thinks that he is worthy to be sitting at the table with Jesus, having a meal, and he sees this woman is not even being worthy to be in the same room as them, let alone touch him. And yes, Jesus knew exactly what kind of woman she was. That's the whole point. Jesus came to save sinners. He knew the sin in her life. That's why he's there, to save her. Okay. And the problem is, if we see ourselves on that side of the table as the Pharisee who oh, we deserve to be with Jesus, but we see other people as not worthy of him. That's so wrong. Okay, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, which is you and me in this room. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus responded to that situation and says, I tell you the truth, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Jesus said he was forgiven little loves little. Now the reality is nobody's forgiven little. Everyone's been forgiven greatly. So we should all love and be thankful in a mighty way. Um, this past couple months I've had a great experience in my life. It's really it's just been a great experience for me. Uh, Dan Bradley here, he's a member of our church, has invited me uh, to to join in on prison ministry with them. So a couple times a month, we go down to Danville to it's uh, a medium security prison there, and uh, and and share the gospel with these guys. And uh, you know these guys they're not in there for jaywalking. I mean it's all serious stuff. They're all convicted felons a lot of times for violent crimes or or sexual assault crimes, um, or real big in the drug business and uh, this this experience has impacted me in, in such a mighty way because I didn't know what to expect when I went there, right? So I, I walk in, and we go through this guard room, and it's very high security. You go through a metal detector. It's like an airport. You can't take anything with you except a Bible. And uh, then you walk through these these two gates with surrounded by razor wire on each side, and, and you have to radio in that, that there's a, a, just a civilian entering in the grounds there. And there's these towers around and there's these guys up in the towers with rifles and they're, they're watching over you and, and you're walking through the prison yard and the chapel's all the way over on the other side of the yard. And so my first experience there with Dan, I'm a little nervous. I don't know what to expect. And we make it through the yard and then we walk, we walk into the chapel there on the prison grounds. It's the prison chapel. And I walk in and I see this band, this worship and praise band, rehearsing drum set guitar piano guys singing and i realized it's all these convicts it's all these they're the prisoners they've got their own band and they're they're singing the same songs we are jesus paid it all and amazing grace and these songs that we love to sing and and then i noticed they've got a sound booth just like we do and and there's the same guys running those there's prisoners back there running the sound system and running the powerpoint and then they started worshiping and, uh, you know, how many times have you driven past these prisons and you just say, oh, those are, those are the outcasts of society. You know, we put them in a cage. You know, their life is really, me- I'm so much better than that. They, their life is really messed up, not mine. And, uh, and I go in there, and these guys are just hands, I'm not, not all of them, not all of them have, have confessed Jesus as Lord, but we have some genuine brothers in Christ in there where they've got both arms raised, just worshiping the Lord, you know, arms covered and tattoos down their arms, and 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 some guys that you might look at if you saw them on the street, and and you know, kind of hold your kids a little tighter and say, ah, oh, we don't go near them, okay? And these guys are amazed at the grace of God in their lives. These guys are amazed that they can be forgiven for their sins. And you contrast, you contrast that, you know, and even there as I'm preaching. And as as Dan preaches in in the prison chapel, there, I mean, they're they're like sitting on the edge of their seat. They're may, they're, they're amen and and, and shouting hallelujah that, that that they can be forgiven for their sins. And a lot of times, you can go in churches and people who may have been in church for years and years, and and we're just kind of looking at our watch and thinking about what we might have for lunch that day. And the problem is is that we don't see ourselves in just as much need of forgiveness as they do. It's the same. The, the ground at the foot of the cross is equal, is equal ground. We're all considered sinners in the sight of God apart from the righteousness of Christ. That should give us no reason to ever trust in ourselves. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, too many people think lightly of sin and therefore they think lightly of the Savior. So what's what's the response? if you're sitting here thinking, man, I you know, this is me this morning, or I've done this, or I've done, I'm kind of like a Pharisee. Or maybe, maybe your life's just a mess right now, and you're just in sin, and for years you've been too too prideful to admit that you need a savior. What's the response this morning? Point number two. Humble yourself and trust in God's mercy through Jesus Christ. At the end of the parable there, Jesus said, those uh, who humble themselves, the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So we're we're called to humble ourselves in the Lord. Notice Notice the prayer of the tax collector. He's not like the Pharisee trusting all the good things that he's done, listing them off, but rather he's humbly admitting I'm a sinner. He says, God, have mercy on me a sinner. He's not relying on his own merit, but he's relying on God's mercy. He's not looking around comparing himself to other people like the like the Pharisee. The Pharisee was just looking around saying, I thank you. I'm not like him. I'm not like other men. But the tax collector, he's not comparing himself to anyone. He's just standing before God. He has his head down and he's beating his chest saying, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Look, as long as we're As long as we just compare ourselves and compare our lives to other people around us, we can always convince ourselves that we're a real good person, right? We can always find somebody that we think is a little worse than us and therefore say to ourselves, well, I'm fine. I'm good. But we shouldn't do that. We should only compare ourselves to the perfection, the perfect life of Jesus Christ. And only when you understand God's supreme holiness and the absolute perfection of Jesus' life, only then will you see how how short you've fallen and how desperate you are for the Savior. Romans chapter 12 says this, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. James chapter 4 verse 10 says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So if you're prideful, if you're puffed up, if you think too highly of yourself, it says that God is literally in opposition to you. He is against that type of attitude. But when you humble yourself before the Lord, you'll be lifted up, you'll be exalted, you'll be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and given eternal life. So what is humility? A lot of times humility, we mistake it or we confuse it was something that's not. A lot of times when people think of being humble, they think of someone who's just real weak and timid and kind of quiet. Uh, they confuse humility with weakness, but that's just not true. Jesus was the most humble man who ever, who ever lived, and yet he was bold. He was as bold as a lion. And he, he, he stood up to the hypocrisy in his day and age, even to the point or they crucify him. He never backed down. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying and this band of soldiers and, and Jewish leaders come to him to find him. And they say, we're looking for Jesus in Nazareth. And he rises up from praying and says, I am he. Okay, he was humble but bold. So to be humble as a follower of Jesus means simply to think of others before yourselves. To not be selfish, to, to look to others' needs instead of your own. It means uh, to be confident and who you are as a redeemed person by the blood of Jesus Christ. Being humble doesn't mean you're just constantly thinking how awful you are. It just, it just means not thinking that you're this wonderful person who's perfect. It's, it's being confident that you're a redeemed person by Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 says this, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And look, pride is something that the, that the church has has struggled with for centuries. And that's why when Paul wrote letters to the churches, the Apostle Paul would write letters over and over again, he would remind them of what they once were apart from Christ. In Titus chapter 3, he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But... When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. So Paul kept reminding churches, and we need to be reminded too, we're saved by God's mercy alone. Okay, when that, when that, when that text collector prayed, God have mercy on me, a sinner, he was admitting that the core of, of what he was was a sinner. Okay, so what does it mean to be a sinner It's not just, sin is not just something that you do. It's not just an action that you perform. The Bible says that we're by nature children of wrath and rebellion against God. So apart from being born again by the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ, um, sin is at the core of who people are in rebellion against God. We need to admit that and confess that. And in his prayer, notice he says, God, have mercy on me. What does it mean for God to have mercy You see that word a lot in the New Testament. You see the two words mercy and grace a lot in the Bible, right? Um, Well, mercy, the definition of mercy is not getting what you deserve. It's not getting what you deserve. And grace is in receiving. It's getting what you don't deserve. And through, through Jesus Christ, we get both mercy and grace. Okay, so when God's merciful, what we deserve for our sins is to be punished for that. But God can be merciful. God can be both merciful and just to us because He punished His Son Jesus Christ on the cross, who took our place, so that we can receive mercy and not be punished. And not only that, but we're given grace. We're we're, we're given the gift of eternal life, living with God forever. And we, we, can, we get that because God credits us with the righteousness of Christ. And then look at verse 13 here, or verse 14. Look at verse 14. Jesus ends the parable. He says, I tell you, this man, being the tax collector, who prayed, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He said, this man went to his house justified. What does it mean to be justified in the sight of God? Okay, it means this, listen though you are equally still as sinful. Okay, the tax collector prayed that prayer, and he didn't. there's nothing he did to change his life in that moment. He just confessed he was a sinner in need of God's mercy. So though before God you're equally as sinful, upon confession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through his death and resurrection... Though you may have sinned your entire life, in that moment, God sees you as though you've never sinned before in your entire life. That's what it means to be justified. It's being declared righteous. It means your sins have been paid for. It's a judicial, um, it's a judicial declaration of righteousness that we haven't earned on our own, that's been, but that's been credited to us because of what Jesus did. It's, a, it's amazing it's amazing news. It's, it's almost too good to be true, but it is true that you can be in the eyes of God, perfect and sinless by confessing your need for his mercy. And I'm, I want to invite y'all, if you're in this room, if you've never done that before, that you would do that this morning. So I'd ask you, I want to I wanna close by asking this question, just where are you at today? examine your own life and examine your own heart and where are you at today are you more like the pharisee in this parable do you trust in yourself for your own righteousness do you point to all the good things you've done in your life and say god that's that's why i'm worthy of you do you do you think there's something about you that makes you more worthy of salvation than other people do you look down at others for your sin and and not see your own if so then we need to humble ourselves this morning and put pride away and simply say, Lord, to the nothing in my hands I bring. It's that song, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Our only hope is what Jesus did on the cross, that our sins were paid for. They were nailed to the cross and buried with them. Or are you more like the tax collector this morning? Is your life just a mess right now? Are you just living in blatant sin right now? And, and it may have been so for years. Maybe, maybe this morning you think that your sins are too many and they're too awful and that God could never truly forgive you, that he could never accept you. Maybe that's you that morning, this morning. Well, guess what? If, 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 if that's you, I've got good news. Jesus is in the business of saving sinners. He is in the business of saving people whose lives are just a mess. That's the people he went to during his time on earth because he loves you and he wants you to have eternal life with him. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. So so please, just humble yourself and admit your need for the Savior. If you've never in your entire life Prayed and asked for forgiveness. Just just that simple prayer of of the tax collector there. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's admitting that you're sinful before God and that you need mercy and forgiveness. If you've never prayed that prayer in your entire life, I plead with you, don't don't waste another day. Do Do that this morning. You can plant a flag in the ground and say, on April 23rd, 2017, I confessed that I needed God's mercy. I confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So what I want to do right now is as everyone would bow their heads. And I just like, it, like to take a time to reflect, reflect on your own life, reflect on your own heart. And if, if you've never received God's mercy... If you still stand before God guilty as a sinner, I'd like to give you the opportunity right now just between you and the Lord to pray. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Admit that you need Him as your Savior. Ask God for mercy. There's no special magic prayer to pray. It's between you and the Lord. If you've realized this morning that you're more like the Pharisee, and you've got pride in your life, that you have a hard heart, that you trust in yourself, and you're constantly judgmental towards others. Confess that to the Lord right now. You don't have to live in guilt because of that. You can be free from that guilt. Just confess that the only thing that makes you worthy before God is, is the blood of Christ. I'm going to pray now, and, and if you've taken this time to, can, to confess your sin, if you've asked God for forgiveness this morning, um, when I get done praying, I'm going to be standing down front um, in the aisle there, and we'd, we'd love to celebrate with you. We'd love to rejoice with you this morning. If you've confessed Jesus to be your Savior this morning from your sins, I just ask that you would come down front and just share that, share that with us so that we can pray for you and welcome you as a brother or sister in Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your mercy. I thank you that you're a merciful God who's forgiving, or that we don't have to live a life of guilt and shame, but we can let go of all that. We can be free from sin, knowing that Jesus paid for it on the cross. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you this morning, I pray the Holy Spirit would move and that their heart would be born again. They would receive a new heart from you that they could live a life out of love and thankfulness for what Jesus did on the cross. God, I pray um, that Pastor Richard would have a safe trip home this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.